Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Alicia Stevenson, your host for this episode of Next Generation Innovators, a future women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Programme. Each week, we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. Today, I'm speaking to Phoebe Yu, CEO and co-founder of Etitude, the sustainable lifestyle brand offering luxury quality modern bedding and sleepwear made from the world's first 100% organic bamboo lyocell fabric. Phoebe Yu, welcome to Next Generation Innovators. Thank you for having me. Let's start at the beginning. Tell me how the idea for Etitude came about and how you teamed up with your business partner, Kat Day. The idea of Etitude came to me when I was shopping for my new home in Melbourne six years ago. I want good bedding, but then my dream bedding that's naturally luxurious, silky, soft, affordable, and made from a sustainable fabric at that time did not exist on the market. At the same time, I already saw um, a lot of sustainable innovation going on in the fashion industry. So I think um, that there's an opportunity to bring a more environment-friendly textile to the bedding industry, actually. So it's always that from the entrepreneur's own quest for something they want, and then they think there's a market opportunity there. And because of my Chinese background, I always know... Um, Bamboo can be used in a lot of um, products. Also, there is technologies that will be available to turn organic bamboo into soft fabric. So I partner with our supplier. To, took a couple of years to refine the fabric uh, and eventually bring to the market the world's first lifestyle fabric made by bamboo. And then we grow organically quite well in Australia because the um, product works. So we got a lot of word of mouth uh, going on. And we see even orders from North American market uh, without us even paying for ads in that market. So that's when I start looking for a business partner in, in the US, uh, another entrepreneur, also very experienced in e-commerce, uh, branding, marketing, because I, I'm familiar with the Australian market, but the US I'm not that familiar with. And also it is, though it is big, it is much more competitive. So that's when I, um, find Kat. We start to work remotely online for a few months before I actually went to America and meet her in person. Oh, wow. So you met virtually first and started working together virtually first and then met in person. Yes. Yes. If that's not a poster for the innovative new way of running businesses internationally, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. So I think we kind of used to work online and remotely so when the COVID hit, the whole team was positioned pretty well to quickly adjust how we work. We use Zoom, uh, Google Hangout, Slack, Asana before the COVID. So the team is very familiar with all those. Well, I tell you what, a good setup to have all those things already sort of mastered coming into this. Now, you've mentioned uh, bamboo and making sheets out of bamboo. When you first hear it, you're like, oh, I wonder how that works. How do you get the beautiful end product, which you've mentioned is soft as silk, more breathable than linen? You know, it makes tremendous sense. And in that vein, you've patented clean bamboo and it's made from 100% organic bamboo lyocell. I'm really interested, as I usually am, around the R&D process. Can you step that out for us a little bit? 
Yeah, it took quite a few years. So at that time, there's already technology, you know, to turn wood into fiber. It's already popular. It's called tensile, has been widely used in fashion and also in home textile. So we started thinking, okay, if wood can be turned into um, silky soft fabric, why bamboo cannot? Because it's similar. There's fibers in all sorts of plants. The technology actually come from a textile university in Shanghai. So they have been also R&D on that for a while and get the government grant because at that time, Chinese government also already started to encourage sustainable technology development. So they get a grant to turn organic bamboo into a similar textile type of fiber. But then they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to commercialize it. So then I find about that and partner with a fiber uh, factory to commercialize that technology. And then we use the fiber to weave that into yarn and then turn that yarn into the final fabric. And at the beginning, the fabric is soft, but not as durable. It's also a bit difficult to dye very darker color. So then there's a lot of trying and error go into it and finally be able to dye a black color and look very luxurious and the color will sustain many, many washes. And all our um, dye are using non-toxic dyes. Uh, so definitely there's no harmful chemical on the products. So just a lot of time and patience, I think, in R&D. So you started out with sheets, but the product goes far beyond bedding. It includes uh, things like towels and robes and sleepwear. There's baby and wellness products. When did you decide that you were going to move into other products and what kind of came next and how was the natural progression of that? Yeah, we um, always uh, listen to our customer for product ideas. And I think also one of the benefits of direct-to-consumer brand is that you're direct talking to your consumers. So there are feedbacks they will tell you by email, by review by Facebook, Instagram, DM. So actually, it's our customer first asked about sleepwear, loungewear products because they say, oh, your fabric's so comfortable. You know, sometimes they just wrap our flash sheet and lounging around. So they say, can you make that into proper sleepwear, loungewear? We want to wear it. Like we, every day, we just want to be in it. So I was like, oh, sure. It's just use the same fabric. Of course, it's a different cut and sew. So just uh, finding a good clothing cut and sew factory. And then they also then come to us. Oh, we also want a, a very soft and sustainable towels. Can you make that? So we always come from uh, customer demand. And then you instantly already have a market there. Your existing customer already asked for it. And so in that kind of process, and if you could attach a bit of a timeline to it, I'm really interested because you went obviously Australia, then into the US, we had COVID in there as well, and you're expanding product ranges out. Can we talk a little bit about how you managed inventory and supply whilst you were growing and what some of the, I suppose, struggles were during that while you were scaling up and how did you overcome those in order to keep up with the growth? It is always hard to really estimate how much demand there and how much inventory there. So I think a few months in 2018, when we just launched in the U.S. market, we launched in the U.S. market end of 2017. So in 2018, especially close to holiday season, we, we are often sometimes there are popular SKU out of stock. In 2019, we're doing pretty well because we, okay, we grow fast and this market is really has potential. Let's double down, just getting more inventory. We're good. 
And then the COVID hit. So in March, because nobody is knowing what's going on. So we kind of hesitated to, to aggressively acquire inventory. So we pulled back in March, like, oh, let's wait and, and watch. But then we quickly regretted that because when, <laughs> <laughs> or when people start to lock down at home, actually our, our sleepwear, our bus, because they are like comfortable, sustainable home products actually in huge demand. So start from May, the sales start ramping up. So we then playing catch up for quite a few months, but uh, we still grow super fast. So overall, I think we're still happy with, with the turnout. No, of course. And look, I don't think anybody had a plan immediately prepared for COVID. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think on a balance of things, I think you did phenomenally well. So staying with the suppliers um, in the very first instance, you knew the product that you wanted to create. You are without a doubt an absolute champion of sustainable sourcing and sustainable products in what you sell and making sure that you are helping in your overall vision to reduce climate change. How did you go about in the first instance in Australia when it was just yourself sourcing suppliers and really making sure that you didn't compromise on any of those things that you really ultimately wanted? Yeah, so sustainability and eco-friendly, it's baked in the brand name. So the brand name attitude means eco-attitude. So that is our you know, first criteria that we have to be really comfortable that the product is truly sustainable. So I think um, sourcing our supply, I think one thing I want to start this brand and do it direct to consumer model, because I think as the buyer, as the brand, then we can require the supplier to do the right thing. Before I was in the business of I'm the middle person to help a big companies uh, sourcing in China, usually most of the time asking what the buyers want them to do. So if you as the brand, as the consumer, go to the supplier, the manufacturer, and okay, now we want really this and we want all this certification, then they will do the right thing. But of course, you need to give them a reasonable price. But I think by the direct-to-consumer model, we can bypass a lot of the middle layers. So our retail price is still very competitive. Could you, just for, for our listeners who, who may not be familiar, could you describe to us what the direct-to-consumer model is and why you went that way? So usually uh, you have a brand and then you would sell to retailers like you sell to Meyer, to David Jones, you don't directly sell, but a direct to consumer model, you as a brand, you manufacture your own products, have your own brand, and you also sell directly on your own website to consumers. So there's no middle layer there. So if a people place an order on a website, it is us as the brand directly sell to the consumer. So it's a very efficient model. That's why the price can keep very competitive, but still the product can be high quality. And so presumably then that also removes a lot of additional work in dealing with stakeholders, in dealing with wholesalers and those kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. So we can be very, very efficient. So we are still a very small team, but then you can do a lot, uh, turning over a lot of revenues. We have tried pop-up stores, but that's more testing order for actually physical retailer. But otherwise, 90% of our revenue comes directly from our own website. Let's roll back now to scaling because I'm interested in the point at which you made the decision to go across to Los Angeles and go across into the US market. And you've alluded to it slightly in that even though you were an Australian-based business, you had organic sales happening in the US. And I'm interested in at what point did that trigger you to go, okay, now I need to move into the US. Now I need to understand this market. I need to connect in with someone like Kat. When did you decide to take the plunge? 
I think it's really when that organic revenue is grow to already 20% of our total revenue without wow, us even, okay. yeah, even doing anything and also has Hard to, to sh- ignore 20%. Yeah, and have to ship from Australia to the US. Like we charge people shipping fee and that's not stopping people from buying our Australia website. So definitely, okay, we have something like the US consumer want this same as the Australian consumer, but that's just it's a 15 times bigger by population market there. Even just California, I think, has more population than the whole Australia. And coming then to Kat, how exactly did you find Kat and how did you know that you and Kat were going to be a, such a winning team? So I put an ads on AngelList. So AngelList is a website that's people using for angel investing or finding co-founders or finding good hirings. And, and Kat respond, and I post her a set of sample. That's also one of her favorite stories. So she sleep on our sheets and she fell in love. Even her husband really loves the sheets and think this is a great product. There's potential. So that's how we start virtually work. And she has impressive background. Um, so she's a serial entrepreneur herself. And her last startup is also in the direct-to-consumer model um, in the food space. So she exited that company in 2017. So that's when she started looking for the next entrepreneur journey. And then she found attitude. I'm interested in the structure within which you and Kat then approached working together. How did the conversation evolve and how did you structure that working relationship and business relationship together to be mutually beneficial for everyone? Uh, We together went through an accelerator in New York, mid of 2018. I think that also helped a lot on the business structures because they have a lot of experience with early stage companies, founders, how to, you know, best structures, how you incorporate properly in the US, how to raise funds. I think they helped a lot. I think me and Kat both have different uh, strengths. So she's good on marketing, scaling, but I'm good on the product development, uh, strategy, uh, sustainability. So we think we are kind of complementary skills. So in the early days, pretty much we do a lot of things together, uh, make decisions together when the team is so small. <laughs> but then, <laughs> when now we grow a bit, so each department start to form a better. So then me and her, we try to also split our focus more, then that way is more efficient because you don't want the co-founders in the same meetings. Uh, it's just not efficient. Bringing it up to present day then and sticking with the team, how many employees did you start with and how many employees do you have now? When I moved to the US from Melbourne, at that time we have four full-time in Melbourne. But now we grow both teams. We have 18, almost evenly split uh, between Melbourne and the US. We keep growing the Australian team too. Phoebe, that's phenomenal growth in such a short period of time. So from four to 18, in how many years? Two and a half years. So to that end then, uh, this is one of my favorite questions I like to ask people because the scaling of businesses and hiring people and resourcing your company appropriately is tricky. It doesn't matter who you are and what situation you're in and you've done it across continents. Can you tell me what were the first couple of hires that you made beyond those four people and why those hires? Yeah, of course, Kat is the first join, join the team. And then the next three hires actually was establish our US team, our Los Angeles office team. One is our logistic manager. Another one is our designer. Another one is our gross marketing manager and also impact manager. They are very young and driven and they are all fast learners. And also they are super passionate about sustainability. 
So they love the mission just day in, day out. We live and breathe our values. I think that makes the team work so well. Of course, we want to hire the best talent, but I think culture fit is our number one, what we look for. It really adds values to the company because when things get difficult like COVID, if you have the culture fit, people are passionate about the mission of the brand. They will really stick through with you and always thinking about how to solve problems. Clearly, it pays off to put culture at sort of the forefront of your hiring. And I wanted to ask specifically in that vein, if you Google attitude, a lot of positive reviews and write-ups, very well earned and congratulations. We know that reviews in market, especially in e-commerce, drive sales and drive decision-making and word of mouth is potentially the single most powerful growth mechanism for online or e-commerce businesses. How do you manage the PR at Attitude? So we have two PR freelancers. We actually didn't use big agencies. Uh, we find freelancers, they work close with you. They know the brand also inside and out. Uh, so one in Australia and one in the US because PR is also about maintaining relationships. So we have two just looking for the two markets because it's quite different. See, that's an interesting decision, I think, because a lot of brands, once they get some really good traction, some stable traction, tend to immediately turn to an agency to get that push power that an agency can afford over potentially a freelancer. So why freelancers over an agency in both instances? I think uh, they also start work with us in early days and also always been consistent delivery. So we, we're not looking at big agencies could be at first more expensive and they're not necessarily deliver more results. I think it's all depending on the relationship that particular people build with the um, press and journalists. So, so we, we don't think there's the need that we want to move to bigger agency yet. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a message from our partner, Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. The Entrepreneurs Program can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way. And you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs Program can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 13 28 46. Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where my guest today is Phoebe Yu from Editude. Editude donates 1% of its betting sales to environmental non-profit organisations. I'm always very fascinated by how you go about choosing where that 1% of sales goes and who it goes to and how you set up those relationships and processes to make sure that is having the biggest impact it possibly can. We are part of the 1% for the planet network, so that which just means 1% sales will donate to environment-related NGOs. There's already vetted um, partners you can work with. In that big framework, everything's related to uh, sustainability and environment, but also try to be relevant. Okay, what is the pressing causes right now that we can help? In the 2019, end of 2019, the Australia bushfires, we donate a lot for that cause. And this year, the Black Lives Matters movement. There's only one NGO that's outside of the 1% of network, but we still keep supporting is the one goal, which is uh, helping African uh, girls to get education. Because I, I think 
what I can do now I can do because education is it's a, it's a big part of it. So there's a lot of talent uh, goes out there, but if they are missing on education, then there wouldn't be you know enough opportunities. I do have a, a little bit of a funny question for you, but something I've always wondered, Phoebe, you have a 30-night sleep trial, which is essentially where people can try any of the bedding for 30 nights and if they don't like it, they can return it for a full refund. Now, I've always wondered about these guarantees and whether or not in the startup world, being risk adverse as the seller, um, why did you decide to do this for starters and do you get many returns or people trying to roll the system, I guess, or, or how do you manage that? Yeah, it definitely works because I think without a, a physical brick and mortar um, presence, I think you have to remove doubt from people. Then people, oh, if it doesn't work, I don't like it, I can return it again, a full refund. Many of the e-commerce direct-to-consumer brands use that. People do not actually take, well, there will always people take advantage, but I think most people, consumers are genuinely want to try this product and see if it works. And if it, it works, they happily keep it and keep coming back because on a statistic level, yeah, our return rate is actually quite low compared to industry standards um, because our quality is high. So if you trust people, I think that's definitely improving the conversion rate. You are, Phoebe, without a doubt, fantastically well-versed and literate in the world of e-commerce. And so in a general sense, what I was really interested to ask you was what are the key components to a successful online business? I think, especially in, in right now, uh, to understand your numbers as an e-commerce seller online really a lot is performance marketing these days, like uh, how to run uh, efficient digital ads because the organic reach days are over. A couple of years ago, yes, Facebook, Google, you can organic reach people. But these days, those platforms are all pay to play. So how to grow consistently at scale is to make that number work. So what is your cost per acquisition? How much uh, as the business you can afford to acquire a new customer? Um, to really get that number right is the most important thing first before you scale. Yeah. In line with that as well, that reminds me, you have a blog as part of Attitude called the Attitude Journal. I've seen a lot of companies and startups spend time writing blog posts because they feel it's something, I suppose, that they have to do to go along with the journey of a startup. When was that introduced? And do you feel that that helps to drive sales? Yeah, I think that was quite early on uh, when the website was launched. We started to have blog. Of course, the blog has evolved along the years with the brand evolving. But I think it's important when in the early days, a blog is helpful for SEO. And also on the e-commerce website, you can't really write long articles. But there people sometimes are interested in longer term articles about more detailed information, like about our fabrics, about things we do or we can do interviews. The e-commerce website just don't have the ability to host it, that you have to have a blog. Like our brand, we need to do a lot of consumer education. I talk about sustainability, talk about fabric. So really blog is the best place to host all this content. And look, that makes sense because... The amount of research that you do into the quality of products, into the origin of products, into, you know, their sustainability, into how long they last. People are very savvy and very intelligent with their online purchases um, and are only getting smarter every year. So I suppose a blog provides that delivery mechanism to craft that message and get it across to the to the purchaser. So Yeah. 
We have an article talking about our fabrics and the comparison to other fabrics. It's quite long and it's actually a bit technical because it was explained a lot about the pros and cons of different textile. And that's a very high converting article. So when I write it, I actually, I wrote it, but uh, one of our marketing team members said, Phoebe, you're writing an essay. It's so long uh, and uh, quite technical. Do you think people will, will read it? But actually that's our highest converting articles. People actually are, they, people actually want to read it. Yeah, especially it's a new fabric. And then people really want to know what it is about before they pull the trigger and buy it. Even you offer a 39 free trial, people still want to, okay, what is this bamboo line? So what am I getting into, right? So actually having a long uh, article about that actually really helps. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so get highly technical about it. Coming up to present day, what now with 18 staff, with, you know, a hugely successfully and sustainably built business, what is the biggest challenge facing Etitude right now? scaling um you know keep scaling at this fast speed um I, I think when you're getting bigger and bigger to keep scaling at a very fast speed might become challenging and also at the same time st- still make sure inventory is, is in place the quality don't get dropped keep innovating on products i think it is all those type of things uh, and also make sure um the team members are happy at what they're working on and also right now it's you know, remote work, uh, people actually craving, they, they used to love our team, you know, our lunch out or team activities, um, holiday parties, but that now they, we all turn those into virtual. I think people want those. But actually, Australia Melbourne team already start, keeps getting at this fast speed. I think when you're getting bigger and bigger to keep scaling at a very fast speed might become challenging. And also at the same time, st- still make sure Again, like inventory is in place, the quality don't get dropped, keep innovating on products. I think it is all, all those type of things. Uh, and also make sure the team members all are happy at what they're working on. And also right now it's, you know, remote work. They, they used to love our team lunch out or team activities, holiday parties, but that now they, uh, we try to do our best to do a lot of virtual things. What's next for Attitude in terms of expanding, like you were talking about expanding a growth just then, you know, what's next? What's the next big step? I think definitely there are new products in the pipeline for 2021. And we actually even plan up to 2025 because some new products, uh, new technology need R&D. Final question, Phoebe. What is one piece of business advice you have for someone who has a great idea and is looking to take the next step to turn it into a reality or is sort of in the early stages of their own startup? One piece of business advice that you would give? Well, I think first you really need to test if there is a market there. Just test to see if people are actually paying for that. I think a first step for, for validation of that idea. Whether there's space in the market for what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, people could, oh, great idea. But then he asked, oh, would you buy it? How much would you buy it? <laughs> uh, right? And then see what they say. Otherwise, people always try to be encouraged. Yeah, oh, this is a great idea, but it's, it's fluffy. You know, it, it doesn't mean anything until they put their money down. <laughs> yeah. Phoebe you you are a delight. You are doing brilliant things for the planet. You are the CEO and founder of Etitude. And we thank you very, very much for your time and wish you all, all the very best success with your new products and, you know, with what you're going to roll out before 2025. Thank you. Really a pleasure to be here today. 
Thanks so much for listening. Next Generation Innovators is a future women podcast made in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program and it's produced by Good Shout. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and we'll see you next week.